Um, all right, so uh, today we start a new series called Make Church Great Again. Now, you have probably picked up on the fact that uh, this slogan of Make Church Great Again was a slogan that we have kind of heard uh, a similar slogan like this in the last uh, presidential uh, campaign. But let me, share, let me share something with you. This has nothing to do with politics. Uh, this sermon series has nothing to do with politics, and uh, it has nothing uh, to do with us, you know, uh, we're not going to go and, and rally somewhere. We're not, we don't have picket signs out somewhere. There's no, there's no one outside putting bumper stickers on your car for anything like that. This is not about any political par- uh, party or a politician. Um, it is... Uh, it is about Jesus. You know, I, I uh, obviously, you know, I vote as an American, uh, but I don't, I don't push a political agenda. I push Jesus. That's who I push, okay? I don't push him, but, you know, but you know what I'm saying, all right? But I tell others about Jesus. I tell others about him because, really, our hope is in Jesus, in Jesus and all. And I know we've got lots of Christian politicians who agree with that as well. I know a few of them right here in Georgia um, who they follow after Christ. But let me, let me share something with you. I, I'm patriotic, and I love my country, but I am a Christian before I'm an American. And um, so it's not, nothing about politics. So you may be asked, isn't the church already great? Isn't the church already great? You know, whenever this, this idea came to me, and, and it's not just something that Frank has really thought of. It's really more of, I believe the guy was speaking to me because I kept hearing, you know, make America great again, make America great again. Kept hearing that over and over again. And I'm like, but, but what about the church? What about the church? And it just seems like the Holy Spirit was just longing and, and speaking to my heart, just saying, make church great again. Now, we all know that really God is the only one who can grow his church and thrive his church, but there are decisions, there are actions that we, as a bride of Christ, need to make. And this has nothing to, to, again, to really do with kind of overthrow a government or anything like that. It's really about making the church who she was originally designed to be, and that is a bride of Christ. You say, well, isn't the church uh, great again? I mean, you know, there are many mega churches out there. Surely those, those churches are great. Yeah, there's lots of big churches, and there's some churches who are really thriving and, 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 and really doing what the bride of Christ is supposed to do. There are some churches out there who uh, you probably agree with me that, that they're great within their own eyes, within their own eyes, with what they're doing, uh, with, uh, with who they are, and uh, what they're doing for themselves. But the church is the bride of Christ. The hope that she has in Jesus is the answer to the world's problems. You know, there are times throughout history where the church was making a huge impact for mankind. But along the way, the church got distracted. The church got intimidated by the evil in this world. It gets intimidating. It's kind of like, you know, when I was in middle school, I got intimidated by some older guys. You know, when I was in seventh grade, I was still kind of short, you know, and, and I got intimidated by some eighth graders, and I don't want to be around them. And, and it's almost like I couldn't even be myself. If they were walking down a hallway, I'd go around another hallway, you know. I would, I would uh, just do everything I can to not be around them. 
And so it seems like the church has done the same thing. Because the church has been intimidated or even distracted, it's, it's almost forced us into a lifestyle that I'm going to call casual Christianity. Casual Christianity. You probably have heard that, heard that phrase before. We, we, don't want to, we don't want the church to live a casual Christian life. We're not designed to live as a church to be just casual. So because of we've been bullied around and because the church has been distracted by other things, then society, our culture, and many parts of the world consider the church irrelevant. Consider the church irrelevant. Maybe you've had some conversations with people. Say, well, I, I go to church. What church do you go to? I go to Lake Point Church or whatever church you go to. And, say, and, and some people, if, if you're in the South, I mean, some people are like, oh, okay, well, I got to kind of go to this church. It's kind of like the thing to do, all right? But, but in, in other parts of, of the world or even in our country, you could tell, tell people that and, and they'll snicker or uh, they'll ask questions, well, why do you need that? Or what do you do there? Or that kind of thing. And so we've become a little bit irrelevant. And the reason why we've become irrelevant is because we are living a life in many ways as a casual Christian. We're not portraying who we really are. You may have gotten some telemarketing commercial, uh, phone calls before. And, you know, there was a time where when we all switched to mobile phones, we didn't get many of those. But they found us, right? <laughs> they found us. And so uh, just this past week, I got a phone call from a telemarketer. And you can kind of tell if, you, if, if, if it's a 1-800 number. I still just answer it, you know. And if there's a, like a dead space, you'll know, okay, this is a, this is a telemarketer. This is a, a pre-programmed, you know, computer voice, you know. And, but this week, I got a phone call. And, and, and as soon as I said hello, they said, hello. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I dropped my headset and like she was like fumbling around. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Let me move my coffee around. Okay, now I'm set. How are you doing? And I talked to her. And she was a computer. <laughs> I was talking to a computer. And she even answered a couple of my questions. Because it, they, they, they saw or, or they probably did studies to, uh, to see where I would go in my conversation, where the average person would go in a conversation. And they pre-recorded that conversation. And they made it think that it was an, a, just a human being. And it was computer. And it wasn't the person, uh, it wasn't a real person. Sometimes the world gets confused. They're like, wait, hold on a second. Okay, so you're Christian. You follow Christ. I've heard about the Bible, and I've heard about some things you're not supposed to do. But then you're, you're still kind of doing some of those things. What, what is this? And it's almost like you're a bad telemarketer. You're just a bad telemarketer. And sometimes when we live, though, we live that life in sort of a double standard, as a casual Christian, the, the world is confused by that, trying to be someone we're not. So, but does this mean that every church is not a, is not a great church? No, there are lots of great churches. I believe, that, I believe that Lake Point Church is a great church. Okay, every church has their issues. By the way, if you're visiting today, um, you're not going to find a perfect church. Okay, this church has issues. You know why? Because we're all sinners. Everybody's a sinner, even the one that's talking right now. We're all sinners, but we're trying our best uh, to live a life of righteousness as we follow God. 
and we're going to dive in a little bit on how to do that more today. But just like a great athlete on a, on a sports team raises the standard of, of the team. You know, you, you've seen those, those, um, those sports teams when they have a superstar athlete that comes on the team, and that athlete has a better workout, has better discipline, and all of a sudden, the standard of the team rises up to meet what that athlete is doing. Just like that Lake Point Church can be a church that we raise the standard. We're not going to be the only ones. I know pastors right now who are friends of mine who are leading great churches, and they're trying to do the same thing. And so we want to raise the standard of what a church should be like. And that's what really we're going to talk about throughout this series. But it's all about the big church. All about the big church. So being an example of people who are not distracted, but who are dedicated to Jesus. Not distracted, but being dedicated to following Jesus. You know, our hope is not in a great government. It's not in a great economy. But it's in a great church. That is a hope of the world. So when is a church great? So when is a church? What are some characteristics of, of, a, of a great church? Let me just share with you a few of them. So a church will only be great when we are great according to God's definition rather than our superficial measurements. We, you know, we're not great. We're not going to be considered like a great church. Hey, we've arrived. We're a great church because we've, we've got property now at Lake Point Sports, and we're building this huge building. You know, we got a lot of staff members, and we're paying these people lots of money or whatever. That, that doesn't mean that we're a great church. Now, there are some big churches like that that are great churches, okay? They're doing wonderful, incredible things, but that doesn't define that we are a great church, Okay? There are other deeper things. The church will only be great when every believer is experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. When we're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like a, a gas can, I've got, I've got two five-gallon gas cans in my garage because, you know, we're always, you know, we always like, oh, I'll run out of gas. Like, oh, I've got another one. So, but whenever I run out of gas, guess what? I've got to go. And I've got to fill those up before I can mow my lawn. Same way with our Holy Spirit. Now, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Our Holy Spirit stays within us, yes. When we ask Jesus to be Lord of our life, the Holy Spirit indwells inside us. But just like a balloon, sometimes we don't give the Holy Spirit room. And sometimes we make the Holy Spirit fill up a size that's really, really small. And what God is saying, look, I want to fill you up. With all that I am, I want to fill you up with the Holy Spirit. And so when the, every believer is walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that is a great church. The church will only be great when our impact on the culture reflects the same power and passion as the early church. We're going to dive into a little bit of what the early church, was, uh, what the early church looked like. But the early church that we find in Acts, when it was first uh, being uh, conceived and was first born... Through the Holy Spirit, um, we've got to reflect that same power and that same anointing. The church will only be great when our leaders are focused on the primary biblical principles of the New Testament leadership. When we are focused on those biblical principles. 
We're not focused on other things, okay, of this world. Yeah, we want to focus on our, on our community, and you'll see in the early church, that's what they did. We want to focus on reaching people with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We point people to God through a relationship with Jesus, and that is our sole purpose. That is our mission statement. And then last, the church will only be great when we experience a prayer-inspired revival that leads to an awakening in our nation. A prayer-inspired revival. Every revival in history starts with prayer and then leads to confession and then leads to a great awakening. It starts with prayer. So, when did the church first show signs of greatness? Well, it first showed signs of greatness uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, descended into heaven, and then he sent the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised. He promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in, witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I'm sending you the power. I'm refilling you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And so about 120 people were praying in an upper room, seeking and waiting for the Lord and for the Holy Spirit. That's when the promised gift came, right then. And that's when the church was born. So we have a record of, of what happened after this Holy Spirit came. And it, said, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, and this is our key verse for this whole series. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says this, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the word of God spread. Many people came to know Christ, and God continued to add or add to the number of the church. So the world was changed when the church was born because the power of the Holy Spirit. The promised gift came when people were praying, seeking, and waiting on the Lord. So, in order for the church to become great again, we must make prayer great again. And that's what we're talking about today. The first step, I believe, that you and I can do to make the church great again is to make prayer great again. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, duh. Of course we have to pray. But there's, there's some things that I, I, we're going to get into today that um, I really hope will open your eyes to really the power of prayer. You know, if, I, if we were to take a survey in this room uh, of, of, uh, of your prayer life and my prayer life as well, we might, there, I'm sure there's some great prayer warriors out here, but we might get a majority of people who maybe you don't know how to pray Maybe you don't have time to pray, or maybe you don't really care to pray. And you just don't know what to do with that. You know you're supposed to pray. You just don't know how, or you forget, or whatever. It's kind of like, you know you got to floss your teeth, you know, but you forget, you know, whatever. Then you go to the dentist, it's like you got cavities or whatever, you know. And so, but your prayer life, you could be sitting here going, yeah, my prayer life could be uh, improved. And so we're going to talk about today 
the model prayer life that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us a great prayer life. He showed it to us many times throughout, throughout um, the New Testament. When Jesus was walking on the earth, he showed us in the Gospels that he went alone to pray by himself. Many times he would do that. But in this one particular place where Jesus not only showed us, but he told us. Because the disciples kept, the disciples kept seeing Jesus go off and by himself. It's like, where's he going? Okay, then he would come back, I don't know, a few hours later or whatever. And, hey, Jesus, where were you? I was, I was praying. I was praying. So he's a son of God, part of the Holy Trinity, and, and he's having to pray, to go off and pray. So that's amazing. So the disciples say, okay, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Is that your question today? So in Matthew chapter 6, this is going to be our, our, our passage for today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 and encourage you to turn in your Bible to that. If you don't have it, we have it on the screen. We also have it on the YouVersion Bible app. But in Matthew chapter 6, he, uh, he answers that question and he talks about this. And this was his model prayer. Before he, uh, he talks about this, specifically in the Lord's Prayer, he, uh, he shows us a few things that you may have overlooked. And uh, let's start in verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Congratulations. So God sees these spiritual leaders, these people who want to stand and, and pray in the synagogue and, and, and want to be seen by others, and that's a reward. That's it. That's all you get. That's your reward. Next verse. But when you pray, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is huge. The father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. There's some incredible principles and truths here we, we're going to dig out. But some of you may be sitting here thinking, you know, Frank, I have a prayer life. My prayer life consists of things like, oh, God, please help me pass this test. I've stayed up to 2 in the morning. I've honored you with my time. I have been responsible with what you've given me. And please help me on this test. Or you could be driving down the road and you see lights in your rearview mirror and you begin praying, oh, dear God, please let it be the person in front of me. And you know you prayed that prayer. You know that. I know you have. And so you pray those kinds of prayers. And, and, and some of those are sort of like emergency prayers, like Popcorn prayers, they just kind of appear. 
They just kind of appear. It's like popcorn prayers in your life. And, and you pray for those and say, well, I, I've got those, those, uh, those uh, simple prayers in my life. Lord, help me pass the Spanish test. If I do, I'll spend two years in Mexico, you know, sharing Jesus. Don't make deals like that. Got to hold you to it. But Jesus is telling us what we just read. Jesus is telling us strategically to choose a place to be alone. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray those emergency prayers, those popcorn prayers. Many times in the day, I'll get somebody, I'll get a text from somebody in our church, and they'll say, Frank, I need you to pray. I'm about to walk into an interview, or I'm about to walk into a doctor's office, and I'll stop what I'm doing, and I'll pray. And those are great. We want to we wanna bring that time of prayer, you know, into into our life, into our daily life, into our actions. We want to invite that time of prayer. But he is telling us what we just read, to choose a place to be alone. Jesus, before Jesus talks about how to pray, he mentions the importance of where to pray. Jesus is asking you today, let me ask you this question. Do you want your prayer life to go beyond the popcorn prayers that pop up throughout the day? Do you want your prayers to go to the next level again? Then choose a specific spot. Close the door behind you. That's important. This spiritual discipline could revolutionize your life. You know, Suzanne and I, we have, my wife, we have a a very busy life, as, as well as you probably do. And we sometimes just see each other coming and going. I mean, literally, there are times we're riding down a road and we're talking to one another. Oh, there you are. And we just drive right by each other, you know. And, and we do that when picking up kids, dropping off kids. And, and it just seems like the last, this last week was crazy. I mean, just, I mean, just like, just yesterday, Suzanne's like, I feel like I didn't see you all, anytime this week. It's like, we just, we have these popcorn conversations of just, when are you going to pick up the kids? Yeah, you're going to drop those off. And they're kind of logistics. It was logistics. It was not like romantic at all. None. And, and, and when it's not romantic, and it's not just, you know, spending quality time, there's a disconnect. There's distance. You could be sitting across the table from your spouse, and if your spouse, using this as an example, if you and your spouse are just talking logistics, and you're not spending time on another, you're just having those popcorn conversations, you feel very distant, don't you? Yes, we've all had that, if you've been in, that, in a relationship like that. And so it gets to the point to where, all right, we got we to gotta time out. We got to go somewhere alone. Just like Jesus said, we got to close the door. <laughs> we got to block the door with a couple of chairs. You know, we got to get behind the, you know, the bedroom. We just got to spend some time together. It's just like, you know, we're just going to pretend our house is empty, even though it's not, and there's kids around. Let's just pretend it's empty. We're just going to sit here, and we're going to talk to one another. You know, or we'll just go, you know, periodically we'll do this. We're like, hey, kids, we're, we're leaving. Where are you going? Ah, uh, we're, just, we're just going. Good luck. We'll, we'll see you later. We're done. We're We're done. <laughs> And they often wonder, I wonder if they question, are they coming back? <laughs> and 
we ask ourselves that question, are we going back? But many times we have to escape away. And we'll go to, you know, TCBY, you know, just sit down, you know, and just have some good yogurt and just talk to one another. We've got we to invest in TCBY because we are really keeping them in business. But it's just those opportunities where we can, we can get away because if not, that intimacy is gone. And, and guys, this is something, just a freebie here, nothing about prayer. But, I mean, if you really want to be intimate with your wife like you're thinking right now, there's no way that's going to happen until you spend some quality time. Because we know that. So we need to have something more than just popcorn conversations. And it works the same way with God. God's like, look, those popcorn conversations are fine. you got to have that. And Suzanne and I will continue to have that. But God is saying, look, I want something more. I want to give you something more. I want to be an intimate God with you. Jesus in- introduces us to a promise of our prayer right there in, in In verse 6, then your father who sees what is in secret will reward you. Now, the reward is not that you get everything you ask for. The reward is not that you get everything you ask for. Trust me, there are prayers you have probably prayed that you're probably thinking, whew, glad that didn't work out like that. I had a girlfriend in high school. I was a senior. I was going off to college. I was like, man, She's the one. What I know now, I'm glad she's not the one. Because obviously, the one for me is sitting right here on the third row. But God knew, God had a plan. And I'm so glad that he did not answer my prayer of God, let it work out between me and what's her face. Try to remember her name. <laughs> All right, I'm sure my wife knows her name. Um, so, um, but you do not get your reward will not be just you know everything you ask for. But here, here's what I love in verse seven. This is something that is amazing. In verse seven, uh, Jesus says, uh, let, "Let me back up. Hold on a second. In verse 7, he says, taken seriously. So when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, so they think they will be heard because of their many words. So the word heard, they think they will be heard. The word heard means taken seriously. The reason why some of those people wanted to be heard because they're like, hey, I'm going to be taken seriously. I'm going to be taken seriously. These people are going to know that, man, I'm walking with God and I'm important. I am important. You don't have to worry about saying the right things to feel like you're important. Because I know some of you are out there thinking, you're thinking this. I don't even know what to, what to say I don't even know what to say when I begin praying. I mean, I don't have the right words. What do I even say? I mean, do I have to have certain theology to have that great conversation with God? No. I mean, when I married, when I married my wife, I, I, I didn't need to have to know a whole lot of stuff. 
I just needed to be in love. And that's all it took. And so the same way with that intimate relationship with God, God is saying, look, you don't need to know about yourself. You can just begin talking with me and praying with me. So you don't have to be pressured by having to know a bunch of stuff. And in verse 8, this is what I was getting to earlier. Verse 8, God already knows what you need before you even ask. Right there in verse 8. God already knows what you need. So you may say, okay, if God already knows, then why do I need to be praying? Why do I need to go in prayer if God already knows what you need? Can I tell you something? You are now on the verge of getting it. If you're asking yourself that question, you're on the edge. You're on the verge of finally getting the purpose of prayer. Because the purpose of prayer is not for you to have a list of things and wants and desires and you tell God and God, like a magic genie, gives it to you. Because God already knows. And so I'm sure he's up there going, all right, yep. I got that. I know that. Yes, I know that. I know that. Great. And it's okay to pray for those things. It's fine. But just let's give those to me and move on. Because there's bigger things I want to show you in this prayer life. There's an intimate time I want to have with you. Think about it. Adam, the first human being on this planet, Adam was alone. All he had was the animals, the Garden of Eden. And so Adam didn't know what he was missing. Now, he probably figured it out. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm missing something. There's something that's not here on this earth. Okay, maybe he was a little slow. I would have figured it out like day two. It's like, okay, where's the woman? <laughs> but Adam didn't even know what he needed. But guess what? God did. God did. But Adam didn't go to God with all of these. We don't have record of Adam going to God and, and, and needing all these things. He had everything he, he, he ever wanted. He was in the Garden of Eden. He had everything his heart's desire. And so that time with God was a time of just communion, of talking of getting to know one another, of being intimate. That's how God wants to be in your prayer life as well. Yeah, he knows what you need. You can ask him for those things, but don't fill your time with that stuff. Sometimes when I start praying, I say, God, all right, you know what I need? You know. So just, I, I ask you, Lord, that you meet those needs According to your power, according to your plan. Now, how can I help shepherd this church? That's what I really want to know. Talk to me. Speak to me. Now sit and I'm quiet before the Lord. Said, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And I wait on the Lord. And that's when he speaks. Sometimes he doesn't speak right at the moment in, in, the, 
as in a still small voice in my heart and my soul. Sometimes it's a little bit later, but it's like jars of clay. Those, those prayers are stored up and he gets back to me on those things. But just having that time of just talking with God without saying, without being logistics, without being logistics, there are things that God knows you need before you even need them. Just like Adam. There are things that God knows you need before you even need them. So it's there that God reveals his plan for your life. It's there that you find peace. Do you, you realize when you, when you don't pray, I, I, this happens to me. I don't know about you. When you don't pray, maybe you spend a day or a couple of days or a week or whatever of not really praying, and you become a different person. You become frustrated. You become irritable. You, you become distracted. And it's kind of like, you remember the, the Super I think it was on the Super Bowl ad this year, the Snickers commercial, where you had the, the uh, William, uh, William Defoe was dressed like Marilyn Monroe. You remember that commercial? And he's standing on a grate, and he's standing on this, and, and he's in this dress, and he's like trying to be Marilyn Monroe. And, and, and the, the, the people who are filming this commercial is, is like, Marilyn, it's okay, just, you know, uh, don't worry about it. And they hand him a stickers, and they give him a stickers, here, eat this. And then all of a sudden, changes into Marilyn Monroe. She goes, oh, that's much better. It's, sometimes we need a Snickers to get us out of our funk. Sometimes we need a Snickers to get us out of our frustration, out of our distraction, and out of our irritable selves. It's like sometimes you just, you need people in your life that say, you need to go pray. Just go pray. Just go pray. Because, you know, it's, you're not being the person God wants you to be right now. Just go pray. So if you're in, if you find yourself in that situation, it could be that you either need a Snickers or you need prayer. So here's what I would do. Find that place, like Jesus said, close the door, get you a big stash of Snickers, and while you're praying, eat a Snickers, and you're covered both ways. It's all good. So then Jesus leads into how we should pray, how we should pray. And uh, this is not a formula. This is not like... Uh, this, these next few verses called the Lord's Prayer, it's not like, okay, every time you pray, you need to say these exact words. This is just a flow chart of how a prayer should look like, okay? So it doesn't mean that you have to say, you know, this exact prayer. Now, with that said, it's a good thing to memorize the Lord's Prayer. It's a great thing to memorize the Lord's Prayer. To, uh, to pray specifically these words. Um, you know, you see a lot of, lot of uh, teams, they'll get together, and, and, and what's, what's the one prayer that people know? The Lord's Prayer. We would do this, and when I was in high school, uh, I was in the, um, uh, on the track team, and before the track meets, we'll all get together, and we say the Lord's Prayer, and I'm looking around going, man, half these guys, <laughs> it's like they've never prayed before in their life, and they know the Lord's Prayer. It's like, well, hey, there you go, you know? But, but it'd be, it's a great thing to memorize and a great thing to say. But Jesus, Jesus is not saying, look, you need to say these exact words. 
it's, um, it's just something that gives us a model for that. And, and, and I'll explain a little bit. So here's the first part. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the next verse, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the very first thing you should do is declare his greatness. Declare his greatness. Your time with God. Remember, go into a solitude place. Go into a place, shut the door, whatever that looks like. It could be going into your car, driving somewhere, and then just being secluded and just talking to God without driving or whatever, or going for a walk, whatever it means for you. But start it off by giving thanks to God and, and display his greatness and talk about his greatness and declare it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And let me tell you what happens. The more that you give God the glory, the more that you, that you declare his majesty, you declare his greatness, you know those lists of prayers you had in your head? Those just kind of begin to fade away in the greatness and in the light of his holiness as you declare it to God, as you declare. He's like, well, I don't know how to do that. Can I tell you something? The book of Psalms has lots of ideas. In fact, you can go through Psalms and just begin to pr uh, pray through and declare his greatness, his goodness, his majesty, just by reading through Psalms and just praying that out. So pray through the Psalms. Um, the next thing in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what you're saying is this, your kingdom before mine. Your kingdom before mine. So you, you declared his greatness, and then you say, okay, Lord, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. And what happens is you are aligned to God's plan for your life. When you say, not my plan, but your plan, God, then your life is lined up with his. And this is when life change begins. And it begins to take place in this time of that prayer. So um, you, you say things like, Lord, I, I surrender. I surrender to you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, your will. I'm surrendering my marriage to you. I'm surrendering my money to you. I'm surrendering my dreams to you. I'm surrendering my wisdom to you. It, I, my plans, I'm surrendering it to you because I want to do what you want me to do. What is your plan? And it's all about alignment. You can't get alignment in popcorn prayer times. It's difficult. There's not enough time. And let me even say this. If you can't get past the first part, you don't even need to move on to the second one. Meaning, if you're not ready to get past the, the declaring the greatness of God, you don't need to, to get on to the other part of your will before my will. Because it's going to be hard for you to surrender when you don't know of his greatness, when you don't declare of his greatness. And you tell God, I want your will more 
than what I want for me. And you say, well, Frank, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with my will being his will. Can I tell you something? Jesus even struggled with that. Jesus struggled, struggled with that in his prayer. And there were some times that Jesus, Jesus did some amazing prayers that was like, really? That's all it took? Like, for instance, Lazarus, his friend Lazarus, one of his best friends. He died, and Jesus, I mean, you can read it. He intentionally stayed behind. He could have gone before Lazarus died and, 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 and helped to heal him because they said he's close to death, and he stayed behind. And then when he died, he got to him, and he said a, a prayer like, Lord, you know what you want to do here. Bring glory to your name. Let's get this done. All right, move that rock. Let's get this guy out of here. I mean, the, the prayer took 10 seconds, maybe five seconds. It's like, really? That's all it took to raise a man to life? But in the garden, the night before he surrendered his life, that's when he had a long time of praying. And he prayed with such intensity and you, many of you know this, the blood was pouring from his pores, from his sweat glands, and he was praying so hard. Why? He was wrestling. He was wrestling so much. Lord, take this cup from me. His will, his fleshly will, was not lining up with the God's will until finally, through the night, he says, not my will, but your will be done. If Jesus, the Son of God, can struggle with lining his will to his Father's will, it's okay and it's human for you and I to have the same issues. But can I tell you something? Fight through that. Fight through that. Lord, I, I know I need to do this. I know I need to do this, but I, I just... I just don't know how to do this, and I'm scared. Lord, I know I need to go to marriage counseling. I know I need to get some financial counseling. I know I need to, you know, to start giving to, you know, to your kingdom. I know I need to start taking care of, my, of myself. I know I need to have uh, settled my anger issues, whatever the case may be. Lord, I know that is your will for my life, and I'm having difficulty with that. Stay with it. You can't line your will with God's will with popcorn prayers. Just, you don't have time. Get to a, a, solid, a solitude place behind the door. Declare his greatness. Declare who he is. And then your will before my will. And then last, acknowledge your dependence. Acknowledge your dependence. Verse 11 through 13. Give us today our daily bread. Lord, I'm not going to rely on me. I'm going to rely upon you. And forgive us our debts as we forgive, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I, I, I'm dependent on you to deliver me from the evil one, to deliver me from evil in this world. You're saying to God, I declare my dependence on you to provide for my needs. I declare my dependence on you for the forgiveness of sin. I can't forgive my own sin. And I declare my dependence on you to protect my family, my health, and all 
of the things that I do to bring evil into my life, allow evil into my life. For the church to become great again, we have to make prayer great again. Now, you can include those emergency prayers, those popcorn prayers, but y'all, it's time we take our prayers to another level. And I'm not just assuming all of you aren't doing that. There are people in this room that I'm sure are doing that. But let me tell you, if you want your prayer life to go to another level, you've got to do what Jesus said. You've got to have that place, that time, no distractions, and you've got to say, this is all yours. And we're going to help you with that. In your bulletin, or when you walked in this morning, you should have received this, 21-day fast. Starting March 1st through March 21st, we are going to do a 21-day fast. Now, as you can see from this, it's like, well, wow, what is a fast? It's fast is when you give up something that you like, and in exchange for giving that up, you are um, either spending time in prayer or you're telling God, God, I'm putting my own desires aside and I want what you desire for me. So there are t- different types of fasts. If you look at this, you have a complete fast. The Bible, in the Bible, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's all kinds of people who have had a complete fast. Uh, most of the popular fasts in the Bible that you see are 40-day fasts, meaning they, they didn't eat food for 40 days. So if you are desiring a complete fast and you're just not wanting to eat, obviously you need, a, you need to drink some water, some liquids, obviously. But if you want to, uh, to do that, you go ahead. I, I, know, I know people, I've got friends who've actually done a complete 40-day fast, and they're still alive. It's okay. So if God's calling you to do a complete fast of 21 days, go and do that. But don't do any of this without praying first and seeking the Lord. A selective fast, removing certain elements from your diet. Okay? If you go to Starbucks every day or to Krispy Kreme every day, that sounds really good right now. If you are, or whenever it is, you might just decide, I'm going to remove certain things from my diet. A, a, a popular uh, plan of this is, is called the Daniel Fast. You can just Google that, Daniel Fast, and, uh, and uh, it'll show you what that looks like. But for 21 days, you may do a selective fast. Another one is a partial fast, fast during specific times of the day. You may say, well, I'm, I'm not going to eat breakfast or lunch, so I'm just going to eat dinner. You know, or, or whatever that looks like, a selective fast for 21 days. And I know there, so there might be some people who have some health issues and you may not be able to do a complete or even a selective fast. Maybe a partial fast works for you. And some could be say, well, I want to do a soul fast, something that, that deals right to the heart of who I am. Maybe I need to take a break from social media or shopping or entertainment or things I really, really, really like to do. Or maybe, you know, you need to take a break from your phone you know, for a little while. You only just take phone calls and that's it. But whatever that is, and it could be a combination, but this 21-day fast is something that I'm asking you to do. 
All of us. Now, you need to pray about and seek the Lord as to what you're supposed to do. Now, it didn't begin until March 1st. So you got some time. And I'm going to talk about it again next week. And next Sunday, we're going to have booklets that's going to have a devotional for you. Because I want you to keep just a simple little record, a journal of your, of your journey, of your 21-day journey. There's going to be some scripture for you to read. It's not going to take a lot of time. But it's a devotional guide that we're going to give you, every single person, next Sunday. So you don't want to miss it. And we're also going to send that out um, in an email as a soft copy as well. So, 21-day fast, this is the first step of how you and I can make the church great again. Great again. So, as the band, the band is getting ready here, we're going we're gonna to close with a, with a song. It's called Cornerstone. He is our rock. He is our cornerstone. He's immovable. But here's what I want you to do. While we're all standing and singing, this altar is open. Because I've talked about prayer, maybe you need to come down here and pray. I'll, I'll be standing down here. But maybe you just need to come down here and pray. Say, Lord, help me. Help me to have a vibrant prayer life. Help me to be disciplined and, and not just have these popcorn prayers and depending upon that. Lord, what, should, what kind of fast should I do? Maybe you need to pray about that. But whatever that is, we're going to do that during this song. Every head bowed, every eye closed.